Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. You can visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is the chairman of the Cato Institute, also a constitutional scholar. We're talking about some of the basics of libertarian thought. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and author of several books, uh, his latest, uh, How We Got Here. Let me see, what is the name of the book? Well, I don't have it right here in front of me, but nevertheless, we'll visit, visit with Larry as well. I'm going to start today with a visit with Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute and uh, constitutional scholar. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. So uh, tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and strictly limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. So, Bob, uh, would it be fair to say that uh, the Cato Institute, the platform of thought for the libertarian, uh, for the Cato Institute is libertarian thought? Well, we call ourselves a libertarian uh, institute. Um, That doesn't mean that the institute itself takes positions. We leave that up to the individual scholars, but I should say that there's a natural selection process at work so that folks that don't share the libertarian view, um, I don't think would apply for employment at Cato. And if they did apply and somehow fell through the cracks, it's not likely that they would be comfortable there or that we would be comfortable having there. So yes, we are a platform for uh, libertarian thought because the scholars that are employed by the Institute are, uh, across the board, uh, libertarian in yeah. their political philosophy. And again, uh, Cato uh, Institute is also as a libertarian, it's a think tank, so again, not taking political positions. But I'd like to peel the onion a little bit about libertarianism, if we could. For starters, do libertarians support free and unregulated markets primarily because they produce the best results? Or is there an underlying philosophic basis for libertarianism? Well, the libertarian view is that economic results are sort of the frosting on the cake. Uh, personal liberty is the value in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So let's say we had a, a deregulated state, not a welfare state, uh, where people were, were free from the shackles of government. Uh, but most people, let's say, were worse off in that deregulated state than they are today in the real U.S., uh, even if some people were a lot better off. Would that still be a better system than our current one? My answer is yes, and that is that personal liberty is what matters and not income equality. Now, as it happens, the evidence proves rather conclusively that greater wealth, including a more equal distribution of wealth, is a byproduct of greater liberty. So my question is sort of hypothetical. I, I would tolerate wider disparities in wealth if narrowing the gap meant less personal uh, freedom. Because one aspect of freedom is the freedom that to quit, to exit, and the people who prefer a society that sacrifices liberty in order to attain equal outcomes, they're, they're free to leave my, my preferred libertarian world. They can go form the collectivist society that they, that they want, but they're not free to compel me to, to join uh, with them. So, you know, libertarianism doesn't foreclose collectivist arrangements as long as the participation is, is voluntary. Yeah. The collectivists, for their part, they, they won't condone libertarian enclaves within a collectivist system. So an essential aspect of collectivism is force. You're forced to, to, uh, to uh, participate. An essential aspect of libertarianism uh, is, is choice. So, you know, if there are people who are convinced that this deregulated non-welfare state uh, free from government uh, leaves most of us worse off, I invited them. Uh, to go create the regulated welfare state that they like, shackled by government. Uh, I doubt that they'd extend the same choice to me. Right. Because uh, collectivism works only when its opponents, like myself, are forced to uh, cooperate. Oh, great summary, Bob. I mean, you can just take a look at the results of what's happening in Portland and other cities to see 
what happens when the force of tyranny is uh, applied to the to free society. So libertarians say that the markets lead to fair outcomes, but for many years prior to the Civil Rights Acts, free markets produced segregated res- restaurants and hotels. Didn't government have a legitimate role to play in forcing businesses not to discriminate? Well, markets aren't perfect, <clears throat> but neither is government. Mm-hmm. So the proper comparison is not uh, markets versus some ideal world where everybody's happy and social justice is ubiquitous. Uh, the the relevant comparison is what happens with markets versus what happens with government uh, regulation. So nobody disputes that government occasionally does good things and and should be doing some things. Uh, but the equation isn't complete without uh, considering the bad things that inevitably accompany uh, the good. So along with restaurant and hotel integration, which, you know, I think it's fair to say would have happened without government, although probably more slowly. Um, we, but we now have, of course, minority set-asides and racial preferences in, in school uh, admissions. And bear in mind that the, the reason segregation was able to pre- uh, prevail was because of government intervention. Uh, government would withhold uh, utilities from business that businesses that uh, refused to uh, tow the segregationist line. Uh, government uh, co-opted, of course, the, the police and the courts, and they helped integrationists maintain uh, the Jim Crow environment in the Deep South. It was because of government that we had that kind of inter- uh, integra- uh, segregation for so long. And, of course, the constitutional argument is that there, where in the Constitution does the federal government have the authority to compel private restaurants and hotels to integrate. That authority is statutory, not constitutional. Yeah. And if integration uh, is a moral imperative, then the, the Constitution ought to be amended. Don't just pretend that the text of the Constitution says what it clearly does does not say. The Equal Protection Clause refers to government, not to private uh, uh, entities. See, you know, I think it's, perf- it's a difference between law and morality. It's perfectly consistent to argue, as I do, that from a legal perspective, discrimination should be permitted in any society that honors the freedom to associate. Because a member of, of one religious or racial or ethnic group shouldn't be required against his will to associate with persons outside his group. On the other hand, from a moral and ethical perspective, uh, I think religious and racial and ethnic discrimination is reprehensible. And I condemn people who practice that kind of discrimination. But even as I insist on their legal right, uh, to, to do so. So interesting, Bob. I mean, the uh, to your point about it, it probably would have happened anyway. The lack of a uh, bring getting rid of the Jim Crow laws is why prohibits a, a portion of your market <laughs> to to uh, buy your products or services. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Sooner or later, the markets would have figured that out. So yeah, look what happened in. Uh with the uh, professional athletes, you know, the, the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, were integrated and uh, and the Washington Redskins even ultimately were integrated. It wasn't because the owners were particularly enamored of, of integration. It was because the market discovered that these athletes were very talented and, yeah. <laughs> and that it, it was good for the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, there may have been some integrationist sentiment among the more um, the more enlightened uh, um, entrepreneurs in the professional sports, but the real driving force was the market for sure. Yeah, you know, there's a, a editorial by the editor of the Naples Daily News suggesting, you know, what we have black people, we have white people, we have all just boasting about all the different types of employment employees that they have there. I would have liked to have seen something. You know, we just hire the very best people for the position, irrespective of race, color, or creed. <laughs> it would make for a better paper, I think. Exactly, and it would turn out to be a very diverse set of people as well. Right. Absolutely. Without compulsion. So what is the libertarian view of helping those who are less well-off? Suppose someone, for example, develops a cure for cancer. Should he be allowed to charge whatever he wants for it, or should government step in and make sure that the cure is widely available? Well, we may see that play out, uh, not in a cure for cancer, although that would, hopefully that would happen too, but in a vaccine for, uh, for the coronavirus. Um, you know, but libertarianism is a political philosophy. It's not an ethical code of conduct. So libertarian, uh, the philosophy deals with rights Mm -hmm. that ensure freedom of action in a social context, provided that each individual doesn't interfere with the freedom of others. Ethics, by contrast, deals with values, 
you know, personal and private judgments about behavior, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. So th- those two branches of philosophy, ethics, and politics are, of course, uh, related. So freedom, for example, is a value judgment. But ethical and political concepts can also be uh, distinct and separate. So government-compelled charity is a contradiction in terms. Mm-hmm. It's a political act that both rejects freedom and wipes out the capacity for real charity, which has to be voluntary and not coerced. So as to the vaccine or the cancer cure, uh, in order to be free, the inventor has to be able to charge whatever he wishes. Mm -hmm. And as it happens, that's going to stimulate and incentivize more and more innovation and inventions. Now, that's not to deny that he may have a moral obligation to help uh, poor cancer victims or or, uh, pandemic uh, victims. Libertarianism insists on his right to set his own price, but doesn't address uh, the moral obligation. So charity is a virtue, but we do not have a right, in my view, to compel somebody else to be charitable. Uh, the problem is, is straightforward. You know, we've, we've talked before that when you rob from Peter to pay Paul, you can generally count on uh, the enthusiastic approval of Paul. Yeah. And there are a lot more Pauls around than there are Peters. Uh, in our in our democracy, so we ha- we have to guard against a majority of Pauls, the takers acting in their self interest, who feel free uh, to rob from uh, the givers. Yeah, and of course uh, the patent laws are included in the Constitution primarily because you don't want to mute the incentives for people who are creative and have the ability to create and, and things like a cancer cure, uh, they're certainly going to be muted in their interest to do so if they can't realize the benefits of their of their activity. Yes, precisely correct. Yeah, so uh, does libertarianism bar government regulation? For example, what about individual or industrial pollution? Well, the short answer is that libertarians not only tolerate but endorse government regulation when it's designed to prevent some people or groups from, you know, forcibly violating the rights of other people or groups. So a sensibly crafted prohibition or limit on polluting activities uh, would not be incompatible with libertarianism. Uh, on the other hand, libertarians uh, would vigorously oppose a ban on certain other things like 32-ounce sodas, right, Cause, which Michael Bloomberg tried to implement in New York City. Uh, and the reason is that the purported victim of this could easily avoid exposures, leave it up to the individual. Uh, that's not true in the case of pollution. Uh, the more complicated distinction is between these regulations that that prescribe punishment for offenders after the fact, like, for example, if you contaminate a river, mm-hmm. should be punished, and libertarianism is perfectly clear on that. But on the, on the other hand, there are regulations that address conduct that might violate the rights of others, but hasn't yet done so. Things like safety mandates or pollution control equipment. Libertarians don't object to punishing offenders, but we may have concerns about directives that are intended to prevent things that haven't happened yet. That's the area of endangerment, and it's an area where rights theory is very difficult to apply because we don't know how much risk I have to tolerate before your potentially harmful behavior, but not yet actually harmful behavior, is uh, is restrained. So government, we agree, can impose safety requirements, for example, on nuclear power plants. We don't have to wait for a fatal disaster. Uh, but there's a lot of murky area there. Should government, for example, be able to compel automobile manufacturers to install uh, backup cameras? Yeah. <laughs> it's a really difficult uh, question. And of course, there are guidelines that libertarians will follow when when we have to make these cost-benefit trade-offs. You know, we look at the magnitude of the injury that can occur, and we look at the the frequency of occurrence and the ability to reduce the risk through uh, private care without regulation and the possibility of relief after the fact if you pay damages for any harm you've done and the likelihood that government can step in and actually do some good and remedy the problem uh, there's always the possibility that government regulation is exploited uh, to limit competition, and we've seen that over and over again with these protectionist types of uh, of regulations. And there's the threat that politicians will use regulation to coerce uh, cooperation. Uh, and we saw Nixon try to do that with the uh, yeah. with the press. So th- these uh, are some of the factors that uh, we have to consider. It's a very difficult area. 
It is indeed, but protecting individual freedom and liberty, especially pointed out during this pandemic now, and we see how uh, it, we have cherished the liberty that we have because it can be limited uh, slowly like the boiled frog. It's just unbelievable. Again, Bob, this has been such an interesting conversation. Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andy Joppa. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. My favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4100. 11 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org we'll see you at the show welcome back to the bob harden show and now here's your host bob harden Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And I encourage you to go to the website, check it out. It's a very robust website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up later in the show, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, a Dowd professor at the University of Houston. Uh, right now, we're going to just talk a little bit about, uh, we, we did Bob Levy in the first segment. I typically like to take a little time to talk about events of the day. And uh, this is, of course, September the 2nd. And on this day in 1789, the United States Treasury Department was founded. Its roots can be traced to 1775 when America's leaders were looking for ways to fund the Revolutionary War. Their solution, issuing cash that doubled the redeemable bill of credit, raised enough capital to fuel the revolution, but also led to the country's first debt. The Continental Congress attempted to rein in an economy, even be, uh, forming a pre-constitutional version of the Treasury. Neither this move nor the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which enabled the U.S. to seek loans from foreign countries, proved effective. The debt kept on mounting, and while floor, uh, war notes rapidly deflated in value, and with the ratification of the Constitution in 1789, the American government established a permanent Treasury Department in the hopes of controlling the nation's debt. President George Washington named his former aide-de-camp Alexander Hamilton 
to head the new office, and the former New York lawyer and staunch Federalist stepped into Secretary of Treasury on September the 11th. Hamilton soon outlined a practical plan for reviving the nation's ailing economy, and the government would pay back its $75 million war debt and thus repair its badly damaged economy. And of course, you know the rest of the story. We've talked about that before. His life ended at age 49, Alexander Hamilton, uh, when he uh, was in a duel with uh, Aaron Burr, and the, the story is uh, kind of mixed, but he ended up uh, just shooting his gun in the air while Burr put a stomach, uh, bullet in his stomach, and he died at the tender age of 49, Alexander Hamilton, who made so many contributions uh, to our society. Well, a Florida government, uh, Department of Health reported 187 new cases of COVID-19 and one additional death on Collier County on Tuesday. Now, the cases were, the, for the most part, were reported for Collier since July 31st, but some were likely attributed to the delayed tests sent to the department from Quest Diagnostics, which was in the news yesterday. According to the Department of Health, Quest failed to report nearly 75,000 results dating back to April. As a result, Florida severed its ties with Quest at the direction of Governor Ron Sanders after Quest's failure to follow Florida law and report all COVID-19 results in a timely manner. The seven-day average cases jumped to 64 through Monday, but still lower than 51% lower than the seven-day average on August the 1st, which was 131. So uh, it just raises the question about how dependable the results were from Quest Diagnostics anyhow. So at approximately 11 a.m. on Tuesday, there were 50 COVID-19 patients in Cuyahoga County hospitals. And the county has plenty of beds for both ICU as well as hospital beds available. So, again, flattening the curve right now, not a problem. Of course, kids back to school yesterday. We'll see how this all turns out and whether this will have a negative impact on the number of cases. But, again, the most important thing is availability of health care. We don't want to overwhelm the health care situation. And the number of cases is really not important if, in fact, kids are just not even getting sick. They're asymptomatic. So, We'll have to watch this. But after more than five months, Governor Ron DeSantis said Tuesday he's ending the ban on visitors to Florida long-term care centers, which many saw as one of the most emotionally grueling policies launched in the earliest days of the pandemic. And now he's saying that family members will be able to visit uh, uh, to people who are in long-term care facilities at two at a time which you just could imagine the loneliness that might be experienced just not by not being able to see family members. So this is a very positive thing. He also warned on Monday at a press conference that his state will never do any lockdowns associated with COVID-19 again. He made the proclamation during a series of discussions. He spoke as with President Donald Trump's newest coronavirus task force, Scott Atlas, the doctor, who supported DeSantis and reiterated that the shutdowns have proved more harmful overall than efforts to mitigate the novel novel uh, virus and protect most uh, vulnerable. So, uh, quite frankly, the shutdown, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. And uh, we've done a lot of harm by shutting down. We're going to recover now. But again, the governor's saying, no mas, we're not going to do it anymore. Uh, by the way, uh, go to your computer. Uh, this is true yesterday afternoon. I think it's still true. Go to Antifa.com. Just check out Antifa.com. It takes you right to the Biden-Harris website. What's the connection there? What's going on there? That's just unbelievable. Uh, I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi and uh, her visit to the San Francisco Hair Salon on Monday afternoon taking a wash and blowout. Well, the owner of the place, she came in without a mask. Uh, they they're, uh, denied the opportunity to serve customers inside. But Nancy Pelosi came in anyhow, got a hair wash, and got a blow dry and all that kind of thing. And uh, Nancy Pelosi said, oh, I didn't know there was a rule against that. That's just uh, unbelievable. So uh, the owner said, look, uh, I've got, I'm going to lose my business here in a few days. If we don't stop this nonsense, and the reason she released the video, which is her security camera, is she wanted people to know what Nancy Pelosi was doing because, of course, what she's demonstrating, this House Speaker, is the laws just don't apply to me. It's just nonsense. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. I hope you visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting, visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have Professor Andrew Joppa. He's also an author. His book, the Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, classes are starting soon for you, aren't you, Professor? <laughs> yes, they're starting actually next Wednesday, and I'm not, I'm not looking forward to it, Bob. My students are primarily in, the, uh, in New York or the New York area. Uh, the courses I teach lend themselves to uh, topics of controversy. I teach organizational behavior. I'm teaching international marketing, and I have new textbooks in both of those subjects. And the textbooks have become blatantly political in their themes. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, in international marketing, attacking the uh, the trade uh, positions of President Trump, uh, it, in the organizational behavior, extolling the virtues of diversity independently of the value derived by organizations. So. Uh, this is the world I will be immersed in. I, I have a, uh, a commitment to honesty. I always have in my classes. Uh, so I'm concerned that the, the questions will arise that I will handle in a, a truthful and fair and appropriate manner for the uh, academic environment. Uh, and that's going to create tremendous pressures on me in terms of surviving in that environment. Well, that's, you know, I, I, we're seeing more and more professors who speak out against something, sometimes just very uh, almost not, not important, and yet uh, the political correct culture, uh, either they end up getting fired, losing their jobs, or losing their positions, suspended. Uh, is that a concern of yours? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the cancel culture uh, gets such joy out of destroying lives and careers that Certainly, if they could find a, uh, a let's say, uh, I'll describe it as a blatant uh, resistance to the, uh, the, the the common culture in these areas, th- there's no doubt that they would go after me, um, and it, I, w- I would be extremely vulnerable. Yeah. I, I know that is a strong possibility, uh, but that's uh, that's the risk that you take as a uh, not as a conservative, but someone who is more concerned with truth than uh, satisfying the, uh, the the politically correct. Uh, correct culture at this point in time. But. Yeah, well, I, th- I just know that you're a fantastic professor, and it would be their loss, unfortunately, and I'm sure that you'd be a valuable 
uh, commodity any place. So um, my 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 hope is they don't do something stupid, Andy. So uh, hey, you know we're we're uh, hoping that this uh, COVID virus, the coronavirus, is winding down right now. We're seeing the number of cases diminish here in Collier County. Any thoughts? Well, it certainly does seem to be winding down, and I don't think that'll be allowed to happen uh, by the uh, the forces that gain uh, political benefit from its existence. Um, I think if we look at some of the most recent findings, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, that uh, the nations that used hydroxychloroquine very early on have the, the lowest death rate per million of, of all of the countries, and that is uh, consistent across the board. Those that used hydroxychloroquine early in the episodic situation for COVID-19 are showing the lowest death rate uh, in many cases by a lower than uh, by 80% factor. Mm-hmm. So here we have this uh, general pushback still against hydroxychloroquine where it continues to document itself as being an extremely valuable contributor to uh, minimizing the amount of death that takes place with this one. Uh, yeah, so the question is, why why the resistance by the uh, World Health Organization, by the, uh, the our, our organization here, to uh, CDC, to, to uh, outlaw or to suggest that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work? It does work. It's been proven time and again. Not only does it work, but if we're talking about the perhaps downside, and that is the danger of usage, uh, this is a drug that's been in use for 60 years for uh, for malaria, very safe drug, very well documented. Uh, so even if the benefit is minimal, and it is not, it is, is far greater than minimal, Bob, uh, there is hardly any danger associated with the use of this. I, I, I don't want to be unduly uh, simplistic about this, but, I, Bob, I would suggest it is something as simple as President Trump having advocated for it early on in the discussions, and from that point forward, yeah. the entire political machinery was dedicated against it, primarily because President Trump had had, had been in support of it. Unbelievable. So, um, well, you know, I want to change directions with you uh, a little bit and talk about Joe Biden. He's, his tone, and he seems to be reinventing himself as we speak. Um, in the in the sense that he's speaking out against the pre- the president is responsible for all the violence in these the Democrat cities, what's going on here? Well, let me start with my presumption that uh, Joe Biden does not offer a thought that he has uh, uniquely created by his own mental capacity. Everything he is saying, uh, every word out of his mouth, I believe, is orchestrated by uh, by the propaganda uh, machinery of the of the left. Uh, right now, they are trying to uh, recreate Joe Biden as as a moderate. Yeah. Uh, let's put that to lie immediately, Bob. If you go to uh, an online search and type in www.antifa.com, yeah. antifa.com, that takes you immediately to the Biden-Harris <laughs> website. No <laughs> other clicks, no other searches available directly to that website and only to that website. Uh, in addition, the uh, day before yesterday, Biden... Uh, uh, had a thinly veiled statement of extortion. He said, if President Trump gets reelected, the violence will continue. Now, uh, what he was, uh, uh, in his, uh, for his audience, what he was apparently suggesting was that Trump causes the violence, but that wasn't the, the underlying uh, implication of that. The implication was that Trump's election will continue the violence because it is directed against Trump. So you have a thinly veiled circumstance of, uh, of extortion coming from the Biden camp. Uh, you also have this direct linkage with a provably violent Marxist unit, the uh, Antifa group. Uh, and so this, this moderate Joe Biden is uh, a, a fictitious creation of the propaganda arm of the, uh, of the Democrat left. Yeah, no question. In other words, the, the implied message is elect me and the violence goes away. Uh, elect Trump and the violence continues, basically. Is what, is what. Pretty much that's exactly what can be implied from that, and I think that's exactly what uh, what he intended to have implied from that. Level. So interesting. Andy, I'd like to continue the conversation. Can you stick around? I'm here drinking coffee, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. The uh, commercial uh, earlier in the show, St. Matthew's House, reminds me of the support they get from uh, Lulabee's Diner, where I meet Andy for breakfast uh, on occasion, did this week, and just so much enjoyed it. I hope you will visit Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center and enjoy a good breakfast or lunch. They're going through construction right now. They could certainly use the support. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. I would like your audience to take note that I did try to pay for breakfast <laughs> on Monday. I'm just so not going to let you thing. do that, Andy. <laughs> so You see, you're so obstinate when it comes to that. So, Andy, you know, I want to just pick up the conversation here. with the. Uh, I, I saw the, that uh, there's this uh, right in President Trump's administration. They're teaching these courses to about white uh, fragility and so forth. I mean, it's just unbelievable what's going on. Well, the Frangelo book on white fragility has not only been uh, used in government training programs, but it's been incorporated into the public schools in many situations. Uh, before I go even further, let me, let me just make the point that the, uh, there is a movement right now in the African-American community towards Trump. It is not dramatic, but it is far greater than it had been in the past. Right now, his approval rating in the black community is 24%. If that translates to uh, a 24% vote, in the black out of the black community then trump will win the election on that basis alone mm-hmm. uh, i also would like to say that the, the comments i'm going to make have nothing to do with african americans only with those that have taken leadership roles or manipulative roles i might uh, over that over that african american community so this is a uh, a problem not only for america not only for white america uh, but also for african american america these are problems that are being imposed on all of us mm-hmm. uh, if i were to uh, define uh, what that looks like uh, it's an historic situation bob going back 40 years where if african americans are not able to meet on average now, everything on average, a current standard, then the standard is dropped. That is one of the major things that has impacted negatively uh, on education in this country, the lowering of standards uh, rather than raising people to meet the higher standard. If we look at what's going on currently, one of the most uh, amazing things to consider uh, is to look at the African American History Museum at the Smithsonian, uh, that is a uh, publicly funded uh, museum uh, on the taxpayer dollar. They have created a long list of characteristics that they say are white. These are white characteristics that are used as part of critical race theory. And, and let me just, for your audience, let me just read a brief statement of that so I, I make sure that I articulate it correctly. Critical race theory is the view that the law and legal institutions are inherently racist and that race itself instead of being biologically grounded and natural, is a socially constructed concept that is used by white people to further their economic and political interests 
at the expense of people of color. Now, critical race theory, that particular race theory, CRT, uh, is being used in government training programs, certainly in corporate training programs. And I think you can see at the African American History Museum exactly what that entails. Uh, that museum on their website posts a list of things that they say are white and therefore to be rejected by the African American community because these are sources of power coming out of critical race theory for the white community. For example, Bob, um, Rational linear thinking is white. The nuclear family, white. Work before play is white. Hard work is a key to success. Respect for authority, delayed gratification, self-reliance, the mm. value of property rights, planning for the future, politeness. All of these are listed as things that have been created by the white community to diminish the success potential of African Americans. Uh, quite amazing when you look at this list of characteristics as if historically they've been created by a, uh, a blatantly uh, racist white group and what they've said apparently based on the, uh, the uh, African American History Museum is what characteristics do we have that we can insist be present in the, in the public exchange that blacks do not have that will enable whites to be more successful than they are now. So if you look at that list of characteristics, it is absolutely amazing. These very positive human attributes, not white attributes by any stretch right. of the imagination, right. are being negated by that museum. Bob. See, that's such an interesting point. And uh, the problem with this, of course, is it's this identity politics of somehow attributing the color of one's skin as being the most important thing, as opposed to, you know, competence, as, as opposed to the abilities to, and uh, to solve problems, to be effective in the workplace and these other attributes. Uh, focusing on race makes no sense whatsoever. It is uh, It takes away from what's really meaningful. And there's certainly there's no uh, sense of unity that could possibly emanate from this. In these training programs, uh, critical race theory training programs in the government and elsewhere, as I said before, uh, it is only whites that are being forced to go through these programs. Uh, and there's a, a general... Um, um, uh, pressure for, and the con for the conservatives in these organizations to, in fact, alter their public expression of these opinions. Their careers are, are in danger. If they don't, and this goes back to what I was saying about my own career before in, uh, in, in academia, right. uh, that if you don't support these concepts, you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in, which is outrageous. This is even going as far as, as entering into the training programs of the war college, the training programs uh, for military personnel. Uh, I might add, as sort of a subset discussion, that many of these government uh, bureaucracies are being still led, are still being led uh, by former Obama appointees. Yeah. That's true also of the military. The military at the command level is dominated uh, by generals that were, were appointed by Obama, uh, and I'm, I'd have to uh, presume for uh, political reasons. So uh, if we look at what's going on, we are talking about intimidation of people uh, who have a varying opinion, and um, it is creating a, uh, a, a culture uh, that is not based on a persistence of, of, or a pursuit of, of quality, but one in the pursuit of the fulfillment of critical race theory. Bob. Yeah, it's just uh, what you just outlined to me is just so deflating. Now, I have read columns suggesting that the president could put a stop to this by an executive order and put a stop to it immediately. I'm not even sure that he's aware of it. The government is so big, but uh, hopefully someone will bring it to his attention and can stop this in its tracks. Well, I'm, I'm optimistic that that might happen. Uh, again, if we look at the, uh, the post-Trump era in 2024, I hope, um, then th these things are not going to go away. These are not issues that have a, uh, a fragility in, in our society at this point. Uh, there are things that, you know, once you dismiss them, they, uh, they die of their own um, lack of, of utilization, let me, let me say. These are not in that category. These are things that are constantly reinforced in the, in the universities, by the media, by many of our politicians. Uh, so in the post-Trump era, these things are going to become uh, even worse than we're seeing them right now. It yeah. becomes difficult uh, to 
to create a scenario in which we can escape from this uh, this onslaught, if I might, of, of a divisive process where where race has become the entirety right. uh, of the American culture. And that is just the opposite of what all fair-minded people, as you alluded to before, what fair-minded people have always wanted to achieve. Uh, well, thank you for pointing this out, Andy. It's a great discussion. I have to say I'm a little deflated by <laughs> the discussion. But so, I, don't I always do that to you, Ralph? Don't tell me that. <laughs> so, I do, uh, Andy, I do want to ask you about uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing right now, about uh, uh, the uh, vice president, uh, Biden, saying, hey, a presidential candidate, saying, hey, you know what, I'm a moderate. Uh, and uh, the president is doing, if you elect the president, he's going to, keep the violence going, and he's divisive in all these these claims. But, but you know what? He has made a deal with the devil. I mean, he, he's uh, given up all of his credentials as a moderate by uh, his uh, endorsing the policies of, of, of uh, Bernie Sanders, don't you think? Well, let, let me speak in defense of Joe Biden somewhat. <laughs> uh, I think Joe Biden is an empty vessel that is being filled up by outside agents. So, uh, Joe Biden, I don't think, is offering anything that is uniquely the construct of his own mind. Everything and every word that comes out of his mouth uh, is preordained by the forces that be. Yeah. Uh, his repositioning as a moderate is, is in that category. Certainly his alignment with the underlying premises of, of leftist politics is also in that category. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a modest defense, of course, of Joe Biden, but I don't think Joe Biden is the author of anything that comes out of his mouth. Probably. Yeah, well, let's uh, hopefully the American people wake up. I mean, <laughs> you see what's happening here. We have to uh, make sure that we can continue another four years. Of- I, I, think, I think they are waking up, Bob. I think there's a, 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 I'm very optimistic about the election, presuming it's legal, and that is all always in doubt, at least particularly yeah. in doubt in this election. Uh, but I think there's a, um, a movement towards Trump. I think he is surging. Uh, Biden has no support, per se, as a, as a personality. Uh, and I feel uh, it's very similar to what was going on in 2016. The big difference in 2020 will be the Democrats are, are forewarned that Trump is strong and they have to do things to get in the way of his uh, election strength. And uh, uh, right. that is, uh, I don't want to be unduly focused on that, but I think there'll be high degrees of illegality in the 2020 election. No right. question. Andy Joppa, again, Josephus of Oz is the name of the book, and I encourage you to read It's way off topic for today's discussion, but a great read. Andy, always appreciate your very well-informed and prepared commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of How Everything Happened, including us. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. 
Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's just one of the initiatives, and I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture, the author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. It's a terrific read. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Uh, Professor, you wrote a great piece. I just really, it's so timely that we're going to be talking about this because of the preceding guests that we've had who've kind of deflated us here, but uh, it's called Radical Left Has Misjudged America's Tolerance for Tyranny. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, I hope we're waking up in this country. Uh, I think we got kind of blindsided with suddenly the whole world started turning in the wrong direction and uh, everything was upside down and tipsy-turvy and words didn't mean what they what we thought they meant, you know, where peaceful protests were indistinguishable from burning and looting and, uh, and of course, being woke means uh, that you, you don't uh, dare say anything that would be uh, politically incorrect or disapproved by the Twitter, the you know the Twitter police and so on. So, you know, it's it's been a pretty pretty terrifying time with words weaponized and redefined, and uh, and I think hopefully we're you know we talk about a silent majority, and and I think maybe we have a shell shock. But uh, majority, as we'll find out in the in the polls, or sorry, in the um, election on November third. But uh, it's it's been uh, a pretty bewildering time, I think, for a lot of us. Professor, I couldn't agree more. And and uh, I think actually the pandemic has kind of contributed to the fact to people waking up and saying, "You want know, wait a minute, uh, the, we're." We uh, are we're based in liberty here, making our own decisions for our own lives. Now we're having government enforcing and and putting on us a, a burden that limits our freedom and liberty. And uh, it's then it's also bringing attention to other issues as well. Yeah, I think that's an insightful point you're making. That you know we we've had every, everything's been shut down. We've we've been shut down out of fear and and. Of course, a lot of the fear is simply we you know we haven't understood the virus. It's it's a new phenomenon. It's a new virus. It hit a different population than previous uh, flu epidemics and so on. And uh, so we were we were really caught off guard. The whole the whole country was. The whole world was. And we didn't know you know still don't know really. Uh, whether it will recur again in, in you know in the in the fall or whether it will split in other strains and so on, but uncertainty is is certainly <laughs> is a contradiction. Uncertainty is certainly, but 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 we're we're dealing with uh, fear is 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 closely related to of course uncertainty, and we have a lot of fear now with not knowing whether we're going to devolve into. Into Marxism, as far as our government's concerned, we couldn't have imagined that yeah. a decade ago. And and uh, but we're like you say, we've we've been shut down by the virus, and I think the question is whether we become accustomed to being shut down, both both by the virus as well as by those who very well might be taking advantage of the fact that we're we're, we're uh, caught off guard now. Um, or, or perhaps it'll wake us up and we'll come out stronger and there'll be a, a strong pushback uh, by our society on, on many levels. Yeah, I think uh, I, I would say that I think people are waking up and I believe they will uh, uh, say, uh, no mas, you know, we've had enough. Uh, 
Uh, we want we want law and order. I mean, you even uh, it's such a many pronged attack. You even point out the sixteen nineteen project and what's happening in our schools. Could you make a comment or two about that? Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's insidious because uh, you know, we we see the, the the destruction of our history, the tearing down of monuments, and now they're figuring out whether Benjamin Franklin should be targeted as well. And of course. Christopher Columbus was a bad guy, and and so on. Perhaps Jefferson and Washington Monument now maybe have to be protected. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy the attack on attack on our history, and then we, it's being implemented in the schools. The 1619 project, which is sponsored by the New York Times, is really rewriting history to say, well, you know, we we were really a nation founded on slavery and. So, so the founding date of the country was 1619, when the first 20 sub-Saharan slaves were brought to the United States, uh, and uh, and and that and that's being taught in, in, in schools. You know, it's it's going into the uh, into the curriculum of, of, of schools, and 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 it's, it's the notion that we are stained forever. We have. A, we have a bigotry in our DNA. We're a terrible country. We, I think we saw that replayed in many versions with the Democrat convention. Uh, uh, and it's, it's, uh, and then we have the woke society and the white fragility that, you know, if we, you know, if we're white, we're just inherently racist. And if we deny it, it means it's sure proof that we're racist. And yeah. it's, it's just, it's just a, a very sick and uh, 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 negative, unconstructive view of not only our country, but who we are as a civilization. Yeah. And, of course, uh, the Constitution is based on our individuality and our individual freedom. It's not about our color. It's not about anything but having uh, the opportunity to pursue happiness. Uh, each of us should have that opportunity. Right now, you just listen to, uh, for example, Joe Biden even, turning things upside down, said, Trump, you know, you're responsible for your, this divisiveness. Uh, you know, I, when, if I get elected, it's all going to go away. Think people will be happy and, and, and crime will stop. That's his message right now. And it's, it's, it's got the world upside down. Well, it's, it's so patently transparent because on one hand, before... You know, before the before the focus group started showing that that you know crime and instability was a problem, the Democrats were were ignoring it or claiming it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And then the, being woke now, they're saying, "Well, yes, we can't get we can't get away with that very long." So, so since since the problem exists, it must be your fault. And and uh, these things are are pretty transparent flips. I mean, you. You, you look at an issue and then you say, how would you turn it on its face for, for purely political purposes? And it's pretty re- it's pretty easy to read them. You know, uh, even when I think of the uh, the attacks on, on uh, Melania Trump and what a, what a gracious, marvelous, beautiful person she is. And they can even find ways to ignore her and and the fact that she speaks five languages, and they criticize that, well, well, her speech wasn't very articulate because she doesn't speak English like like everyone else, you know. And it's anything that can be uh, uh, presented as a detractor will be used that way. So there's really nothing very uh, complex or uh, uh, unpredictable about any of it. Yeah, well, I, I, I come back to the title of your column, which is uh, Radical Left has Misjudged America's Tolerance for Tyranny. By the way, you'll find this at Newsmax.com. Just check out uh, uh, Professor Bell's column. And also the book, How Everything Happened, Including Us, is a terrific read. Professor, I really appreciate your uh, contribution to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, I always appreciate being on. Thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. 
indeed a brilliant man, and I hope you'll check out On Point. That's his column at Newsmax.com. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot. I always appreciate your comments. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you'd like to be included on the newsletter that I distribute after each show, you can just include that as well in your email to bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you join us tomorrow. We have great guests, including Keith Flaw. He is uh, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon from the Cato Institute. And Dr. George Markovich, he is an orthopedic surgeon. And the mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Well, former mayor, but he's still Mayor Bill Barnett. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.